So this time of year, there's no escaping the energy and the excitement of a child on Christmas morning. I, I have seen thoroughbred racehorses struggle to keep up with the movement of a toddler's legs as they bound down the stairs, turn the corner, and slide into the tree waiting to see what gifts are for them. Gift giving, it's a hallmark of the Christmas season for kids. I, I should probably, parents are like, no, that's not true. It's actually gift receiving is a hallmark of Christmas for kids. And I remember as a little kid, you know, you probably did this too, snooping around the tree, checking out the packages, trying to be coy about it, you know, not trying to be so excited that like my parents would let on that I was only thinking about one thing. I learned quickly um, the most exciting words underneath the tree were the, the simple words, just very, very easy, to Dan. When I saw those words, I knew, yes, this gift is coming to me. It was meant for me. Someone had thought about it for me. It, it, it might have been something that I was really hoping to receive, like a Game Boy or a Tamagotchi or the new Ace of Base CD. <laughs> Google it, all right, some of you. The most um, significant gift I've ever received uh, came around Christmas time a couple of years ago, and it was uh, the year my grandpa Jacobson took his family ring off of his finger. I don't know if I can get this thing off of my finger. It's this one right here. This is the, the ring. Uh, he, he were, um, it's Christmas season. We were at a funeral together, and he, we were sitting at a round table, and uh, he took his ring off of his finger. And, and all of the Jacobson men in my family have a ring just like this. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I found out that all of the Jacobson men in the family have a ring just like this. And I thought to myself, I don't have a ring just like that. I would like a ring just like that. And I remember watching my grandpa take it off of his finger, and he, he, he used to call me Diver, after Diver Dan, which you have to be like 80 to understand. <laughs> but he, he called me Diver, and I remember this so clearly. He said, Diver, try this on. And he just spun it to me on the table. And I remember thinking like, oh, finally, we're going to take that trip to the jewelry store and finally get me one of those rings. And so I you know, tried not to be too cool, like tried it on. And my grandpa was a big man and I was um, still a slender dude. And um, it, it just f fell right off of my finger. And I went to take it back off and give it back to him. And my grandma stopped me. She said, Dan, he wants you to have that. And I Remember so clearly this moment where we're sitting at this table in this funeral reception hall and that coy smile on my grandpa's face as he spun his ring towards me to give it to me. The most important gifts in those moments, the most important gifts aren't necessarily the gifts themselves, what they're made of or what they uh, actually are. The most important gifts are gifts that symbolize something for you, that have deep meaning. They're, in, in that moment, it, it was really a gift that made me go, wow, Grandpa, thank you. Of all your grandsons, you gave that to me. And it was a gift that moved me. This is what gift giving does. This is what Christmas does for us. The, they, the gifts that we give, they move. And of course, I mean, physically, to give a gift, you got to give it. You got to move it. You have to actually hand it over to someone. It's from me to you. But the best gifts don't just move to us or come into our possessions, the best gifts move us. There are gifts that move you. And you maybe have had a, a gift that's moved you. It's an expression of, of, of deep affection from someone you loved and it changed your relationship. 
You might have received a sum of money as an inheritance, and it was more than you ever imagined, and you felt incredibly loved because you didn't know it was coming. You might have gotten um, scribbles from your kids when you were in bed, sick with the plague, and I don't know why it's written on a question mark, but this is from my five-year-old. I was, um, you know, a month ago dealing with uh, quarantine, and he wrote me a haiku. Do you want me to read it to you? Now, it's a five-year-old haiku, okay, so it doesn't conform to the conventions of haikus. But, uh, I see your frown on your face, which I didn't realize I was that obvious about it, but <laughs> I'm sorry that you have COVID-19. <laughs> and then a broken heart, right? This is what I'm saying. The gift doesn't have to be something extravagant. It just, it just has to come from a place that connects with you, and it moves you in those moments, we all have these great gifts that we think back upon because they were so moving for us. And of course, the greatest gift that was ever given that moved to us and also moved us is Jesus. In the Christmas account, we find both the physical movement of a gift and the spirits and souls of humanity being moved as a result. And this is a particularly Christian thing. This is a very particularly to our faith type of a thought. Only in Christianity do we find this movement of God physically to do something in us spiritually. And that's the idea that I want us to talk about for the next couple of weeks. We're in a brand new series. We're starting it today. It's called To You From Above. And we're going to be unwrapping the gift of Christmas together over these next couple of weeks. And, and maybe you've thought about the ways in which Jesus is connected to Christmas, but maybe it hasn't moved you. Now, I hope over these next couple of weeks, we can unwrap this significance together and show us a gift of Christ in a way that makes sense to us in our hearts, finally. So with that, you're going to be talking about Christmas. Of course, you're going to be talking from Luke chapter 2. So open your Bibles, flip open your apps to Luke chapter 2. And what I want to do today is kind of just beat everyone else to the punch with a Christmas story. just want to lay it out there and remind us of what is, what is it that we actually celebrate this season when we come to Christmas. And I want you, as we read this story, to keep in the back of your mind or in the forefront of your mind, whichever it is for you, uh, that this whole story is a story of movement. This is a story of movement. We start in verse 1. It says this, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Right, so you don't really have to be like a church person to have heard that story before, right? Charlie Brown tells it to you every year on his Charlie Brown Christmas special, and pastors every year talk about this story. Every nativity steed that is out here tells our story of Jesus. We are accustomed to thinking about the birth of the baby as the central focus of this story. Aren't you? When you think about Christmas, you think Jesus was born. Now, if you're a guy thinking about the birth of something, that's different than if you're a woman who's given birth to someone. You think about those things differently, don't you? Ladies, don't you? 
Right. Because um, in our culture, we talk about birth, and there are details that start to come out. And I didn't realize this until after the birth of my first daughter. When I would say, we had a baby, my friends would say, congratulations. When Kristen would say, I birthed a child, there was like a whole questionnaire that was coming to her from her friends. There are details, there are specifications, there are numbers. Time is an important piece to all of this. One of the most important numbers is weight, I, I guess. Look at back at the Bible, though. The Bible doesn't seem to care at all about the event. And actually, in the Greek, the entirety of finding out that Mary gave birth takes up two Greek words, just two. The entire event, it's just two words. And, and, and we translate it, and the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her first son. That sentence right there, she gave birth to her first son, is two words. Luke almost feels like doesn't care about the actual moment of delivery or the details surrounding all of the arrival of God. Instead, Luke has a very different agenda for us. Luke you know, is, is happy for us to know that the baby was born, happy and healthy, five pounds, eight ounces, maybe a little bigger, uh, but happy and sleeping, and mom and baby are doing well. He's happy for us to know that, but he actually doesn't put the spotlight on that moment. He puts the spotlight somewhere else. No, the main event is the birth, but the focal point isn't the labor. It's the people who are around this baby at the time of his birth, the people that this baby is going to move. Luke cares that we situate this birth in history. So he tells us this is the time when Caesar Augustus was on the throne. He was a man who fancied himself a god, and he broadcast the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And he tells us that Quirinius governed Syria, this region where they came from. And he called for a census, and that it was the first census that he called for, and I preached uh, two years ago a sermon on this one sentence, and I thought it was brilliant, and you should go back and listen to it later. But there's a reason he tells us about Quirinius. He wants us to have it in history. I filled out a census this year for my family, and um, I did it online. It was great. I hope I, it wasn't hackers, but I, I'm pretty sure it was the right governmental system getting my census information. Back in Quirinius' day and Joseph's day, you had to move back to your hometown to be accounted for. And so Joseph moves. He moves back with Mary to his hometown, this little Bethlehem, with all the other descendants of David. There's no place for the child to be born. We don't know why. Probably two reasons. Either there were so many people moving back for the census, or because the shame associated with having a child out of wedlock would have kept them from being received at a home. We don't really know what it was like. Mary delivers a child, places him in a manger. It's like a feeding trough for animals. I think of that slop sink in Charlotte's Web that Wilbur eats out of. But more accurately, it was probably like a dugout hole in the floor of the home. But regardless, it wasn't Gerber approved. It wasn't very clean. It wasn't screaming of a high kingly silver spoon. And this is how God arrived. He came from heaven to earth in the form of a child, and his first night he rested, nestled in a manger. Luke continues this peasantry display in verse 8, which is the main text I want to just sink into today. Look at this with me. 
Verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, everybody say this with me, good news of great joy that will be for for all people. So if the first part of Jesus' birth comes to us as like this ordinary, maybe non-miraculous event, the second part is very different. We see here shepherds who, it's been said, were some of the lowest people in society. There's a little bit of debate on this, but mostly the, they were thought to be the runts of the litter, unskilled laborers. Aristotle, a couple centuries earlier, decried shepherds as lazy and worthless to society. But shepherds in the Bible always have this incredibly noble um, characteristic. Sure, they were poor, but God had elevated many a shepherd to positions of leadership. Um, It was Moses who was out tending sheep for his father-in-law when God appeared to him and called him to lead his people out of slavery. Jacob tended sheep for Laban as a way to sort of earn his wives. David was a shepherd when Samuel anointed him as king. Psalm 23rd is, is a, this famous psalm that we read at funerals, but it's really a kingly psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, really, is the Lord is my king. For whatever reason, God has always used shepherds and the task of shepherding as a connected metaphor to the heart that God has for his people. And this is so clear that the, the angels, they burst on the scene, probably sending these poor shepherds into cardiac arrest. And first, it's just one angel, one solo angel saying, hey, shepherds, here's a message, watch this, from heaven to you. Here's a message I have, from heaven to you. The gift tag then on the gift of Jesus as the gift to us, it came from the angel saying, this gift is from heaven, it's for you, it's moved to you. Here's the message, verse 11. For unto, everybody say it with me, you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The great news is that today you've been given a gift from heaven to you. A gift of heaven to you. That's literally the only point I'm trying to make in this entire sermon today. So if you wrote down anything, you just say that Jesus is a gift of, from heaven to me. Um, this text I've preached before many times, emphasizing the three titles that this angel declares. Put, put it back up there, if you don't mind, Jason, um, verse 11. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. These are three titles, three Ways that this baby is going to um, prove who he is. This child is a savior. Certainly he is. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. He is um, Christ, which means the Lord's anointed, promised Messiah. And certainly this this child is. He is the Lord, which is a a title of divine priority, divine authority. And certainly he is. If you put all three of these titles together, it might sound like you're talking about three different people. One is the Savior, one is Christ, one is the Lord. But these are all the same child bearing three different titles. And that's not confusing to us. If you asked me, you know, to describe Kristen, my wife, to you, I would say, well, um, she's my wife, she's my friend, and right now she's an educator teaching our kids how to read. None of those are in conflict with the other. None of those describe three different people. It's just three ways that she's living life right now. The same is true of this child. He is 
Savior, Christ, the Lord. And as incredible as those titles are and those statements are, the message from the angels to the shepherds about the recipient of this gift, I think, is equally incredible. What he says first should blow us away. For unto you is born this day. Here's a message from heaven to you. And then the angel says, here's a gift of a child from heaven to you. And in verse 12, the angel says this, here's a sign from heaven to you. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. If you put all of this together, what we have is not just a baby born on a date to a mother, but an invitation for outsiders to come and see this newborn king. And this is a heavenly invitation with screams, all are welcomed by the side of the Savior. All who would come, please come, see for yourself, worship this king. He's here, he's come. He's a gift from heaven to you. There's this passage in Isaiah that sometimes we read at Christmas time that we can't overlook today. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says this. The prophet Isaiah says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The angel said to the shepherds, unto you is born this day. And in a literal sense, we can take this to, to mean, well, to you, the shepherds, the one who are here in the region watching your flocks by night. But Luke is echoing this larger prophecy from Isaiah, which tells us that the coming king, this coming ruler who is born of a child, is born to us, is born to humanity. We most accurately see Isaiah first prophesying this to the Jews, saying to us, to the Jewish people, is born a king. But the angel tells us in verse 11 that this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And I think this way that Isaiah makes this declaration clear this way is he says, to us a son is given. And this is a gift. Have you ever been in one of those situations where someone got you a gift, but you didn't give them a gift? Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was um, working at another church, and I had a young guy who worked for me, and it didn't even occur to me that we would get each other gifts, but he showed up one day and he gave me a mug which was a great gift for me. I'm a coffee addict, so perfect. I need more ways to consume for my addiction. Um, a lifetime supply would have been better, or an IV, but a mug is great. Um, and, and I remember I, I took it from him, and I had this sinking feeling of like, shoot, I didn't get you anything, man. And I felt so awkward. And sometimes in gift giving, there's a transactional nature that we feel about this, right? Like, like with my family, um, our, our, my sisters buy for my kids, and we're always like feeling the pressure to spend three kids' worth of money on our one niece because it's just fair. Fair's fair. They spend all this money on us. We should spend all that money on them. This is how gift giving works, right? No, actually it's not. And, and the thing about gifts and the thing that messes people up about Christmas and Christianity is we approach it transactionally. Oftentimes we approach God and this gift that God's given to us as, as if it were a transaction that like God's going to give me a gift but he's going to demand something from me first before I can receive this gift. I have to give him something first before he can give me this gift. 
But um, everything in the story tells us of the one-directional, sacrificial, loving, out-of-control, extravagant, no-need-to-reciprocate kind of gift that God has given to us. This gift is one-directional. It moves to you from above. If you earned it, that's probably a wage. It's not a gift. So many people, though, they hear about Jesus as a gift, and they say, um, great, but they live their life as if they need to earn the gift. They live their lives trying to become religious people, trying to make sure they do all the right things or say all the right things or meet with all the right people. They try to live their life by some sort of moral standard, which is, is great, but not by itself. They say, I'm a good person, I'm a religious person, I'm a charitable person, I gave away a lot of things. God's got to give me this gift now, but those are all transactions. If I give God a gift, he will give me a gift, or I'll make myself more able to receive his gift. But friends, we don't do anything for God to conjure up his greatest blessing to us, which is the gift of his very presence among us in the form of Jesus. Jesus came to show us that God has decided to take it upon himself to save and redeem and rule his people with love. And it all began with a baby born in a manger. He sent his gift to the world so that we could be saved. I think about the words in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul said to us. He explains this gift this way. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is a verse that made salvation make sense for me, and for so many years I still refuse to understand that what God was offering me was not just grace, but the gift of grace. That there's an extended invitation for me to have what he already wanted me to have. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. I'd say it this way. Maybe I can just punctuate the sermon for us before we sing and go home. Say it this way, Jesus comes from heaven to earth because without him bridging these two realms, we could never go from earth to heaven. He came from heaven to earth to make heaven on earth so that by faith we may someday get from earth to heaven in him. In God's gift, Jesus moves to us, but ultimately he will move us to faith in him, which will literally move our future from earth to heaven. This heaven-touching, earth-touching, heaven reality isn't just told by the angels to the shepherds, but after the good news is shared, I want to show you what happens. The angels actually give a quick taste of heaven to the shepherds in this moment. Verse 13 says this, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I mean, we're going to sing these words a hundred times this Christmas season, but don't miss out on the movement that they are intended to convey. Don't miss this. God's glory is spilling out of heaven in this moment and touching earth. The birth of this baby has solicited the highest praise known to man and to the angels. Glory to God from above and below peace. This child has brought glory to God from heaven and he's bringing peace below. To you. This is the gift. He is a gift from heaven to you to bring us peace. What a year lacking peace. If ever I've 
needed more peace, I don't know when. Like, we, we could use a little extra peace here. How much of our news is dominated by unrest and fighting? A lot. We live, honestly, simpler lives on our calendars today. I've never not done so many things as I have recently. But our counseling offices have never been more busy. We aren't really at peace with one another, and we aren't really at peace with ourselves. What type of peace is this baby going to bring? This invasion of heaven to earth sounds a little bit more like the Pax Romana, this false piece of Rome that came by fighting and conquering more than it does anything else. Was this baby going to be a military giant or a political reformer or a conquering leader? No, this, this is a baby. He's the most vulnerable human form we've ever experienced. What type of peace does this baby bring? And I think of that first Christmas night, the trauma of birth, the excitement of angels and shepherds, and amid all of it, there in that manger, that baby lays asleep, wrapped in humble clothes, not anxious about anything, present and peaceful. An infant I don't know how true this actually is, but it's my experience that an infant doesn't know how to be anxious. It seems to be more of something that they learn. He just rests. He he models for us the peace that we can have with each other, with ourselves, but mostly with God, your creator. So many of us don't have peace with God, and so we have so much discomfort and tension with each other. So many of us don't have peace with God, and so we don't have peace with ourselves, and we stay awake all night. How do you know you have peace? You can put your head on the pillow, close your eyes. Peace is this profound trust that God is who he is, will do what he said he will do, and we can trust him to carry it out. When when the angels cry out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with whom he is pleased, there is this real tangible movement inside of our souls that ought to usher us to, to finally realize I can be at peace with my maker because my maker has come to make peace with me. I can finally give up the game of trying to earn my way back to God's good graces. I can finally give up all the problems that I've tried to solve myself only to make more problems and finally just to say, I need help. I can finally lean into the fact that my God has my best interest at heart. So much so that he took care of me, and he's come to me, and this baby is his guarantee that peace is on the way. A raucous choir of angels bursting forth to tell the wondrous gift of God, a grace to you from above, doesn't sound very peaceful to me, but I assure you, it is the greatest guarantee of peace that there is. Because I don't care who you are, whether you are royalty or peasantry, We have to remember this, that some years ago, God delivered a gift to you from above. These are the words that hang on the gift of Jesus, that Jesus is born for you. He's God's greatest gift to you. And this year of all years, I pray that our church would embody this reality, would understand so deeply that God has come to us personally, to to Dan, to Brandon, to Claire, to us. He's a gift that he wants us to receive. 
You know, sometimes we get mail here in the office, and sometimes it's got my name on it, but it's spam, and I just have Denise throw it in the trash, and she does it without me even knowing it, and I'm very happy about that. Sometimes we get Amazon boxes at my house, even, and it's got my name on it, but I don't open them. Because Kristen and I share an Amazon account, and most of the time it's for her. Well, most of the time it's for me. But some of the times it's for her, and I like, to, I like for her to have that surprise. I don't always open those gifts, even though it's got my name on it. But whenever someone writes on a package, personally, to Dan from me, I open it every single time. I was thinking back in my life, there has not been a gift that I've never not opened, ever. I don't have any gifts that someone's given to me that they said, you know, sometimes like wait to open this on this day. I never do that. <laughs> Why would you do that? You gave me the gift. I'm going to open. It's got my name on it. Right? I, 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 I'm sure someone in here has got a forgotten gift somewhere, but most of the time, right, we open what's given to us. Friends, God's given you a gift. He's thought about you. He sent you peace from heaven. And all that you have to do is say, yes, I agree. I'm in. I want to know how this baby can change me. I want to know how this baby will move me. All you have to do to accept this is to accept Christ as your Savior, to believe in your heart that God sent him to live and to die for you and for your sins. And confess him as Christ the Lord. And his peace will begin to make all things new for you. It's the greatest gift of all. That's what we're going to talk about next week. I hope you come back for part two of this series. And for now, we just remember these words. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord.